Yeah, in that in that video, um, the chanting in the background was actually the men on the shore, just like giving this sort of tribal chant as they celebrated their brothers and their little sister who came up to be with their dad um, that wanted to be baptized. Man, God is on the move. There were 11 people baptized just at man camp last weekend, and we celebrate that. And uh, of the 11, I think half of them were just young adults who were going after sort of our target, our bullseye this year. We're going after the next gen. We want to see Gen Z and Gen A catch fire for God. And they are catching fire for God. I mean, last night we had like two rows of them right here. And uh, we got another row or two. How many next geners down here? We've got young adults. And hey, if you're baptized right down in here, can you stand up if you're baptized in this place this weekend? Here's a couple of them right here, right here. Yeah. Oh, man. This is so, so amazing. And we have right now for baptisms on a lake um, in August, on August 20th, we've got 62 people signed up for baptism. And uh, that's pretty awesome. I think the highest we've ever had is like in the high 30s. So God's just on the move. People are being stirred afresh by the Spirit of God. And the worst month to be a church or a pastor in the state of Michigan is the month of July. And God is like, hold my beer. Um, I'm going to do some awesome thing. Well, not that God has a beer, but you know what I'm saying. He's like, I can't move in the month of July. Hold my beer. Watch me do it. And, uh, and God's doing it in our midst. And it was so cool. Last week, uh, as John was speaking, I went to the baptism class. Literally 75% of uh, the baptism class of 11 students. I think they've got 27 in baptism class right now while we're meeting. But last week was the next gen, Gen Z. And I was like, man, he is stirring up the affections of our young people. And that's what happened in the scriptures as well. About a month ago, I cast a vision for our church for the next 365 days from June in the fiscal year all the way to May. And I made a couple statements about a month ago, and they were this, the world is going after them, so we will go after them with all our hearts. The culture is stopping at nothing to swarm them, so we will swarm them with love. Satan isn't taking a vacation from pursuing this generation, so no, neither will we. It was about a week and a half later, there was this New York City drag queen march or protest where they were chanting, we're coming for your children. And I thought to myself, hey, hey, we just were talking about this last week, and I thought it was a covert operation. It's now overt. I thought it was latent. It's now blatant. And they said the quiet part out loud. And I'm going to say a quiet part out loud for you here this morning. And it's this. This church is going after the next generation. We are. We have high hopes for them. We have big dreams for them, but nowhere near the hopes and the dreams that God has for them. Even this morning, as I was watching Elise up here, who's going to be a sophomore in high school next year, she's up here leading us in worship. Was that not cool to see? This generation isn't the church of the future. They are the church of the now. We need them. We need their fire. We need their enthusiasm. We're so used to in this place being adults where we talk ourselves out of things, but they do things without thinking and we hate them for it. But that's what God calls them for. It's like you won't think so much about it and overthink it and talk yourself out. You'll just go all in with your enthusiasm and passion. Our adults in this place, and I'm talking to the next gen in here, we need you to come alive to God because we need to follow you in that regard. Our church is going after the next generation. And I'm going to lose my voice shouting it from the rooftops for the rest of the year. In fact, I did lose my voice this last week, but it was more because I went to an NF concert down at the Van Nandel Arena with my sons for my uh, son Josh's 13th birthday. We went down there and went with Tall Tony, our children's pastor, and I went with Caleb, and I went with Josh, and we were down on the floor where it smelled like teen spirit down there. <laughs> and uh, a lot of pot as well. And I'd never smoked pot, but I did that night quite a bit. It was wafting around the pit down there. And uh, wow, and it was crazy, good. 
uh, to be down there with my young sons, exposing them to that. But anyway, we're down there and it was just so awesome. Off the chain, I think is what the kids say back 10 years ago. Uh, we're down there and the songs are coming on. And during the concert, um, there was a part where, you know, he was singing a song up here in the main stage and then somehow found himself on a backstage back here and was elevated up in the air. And so on the ground, everybody pivoted around when they saw that he was singing over there and everybody like a, like a stampede of wildebeest started going to that side of the stage. So I'm running and I got my sons and people are just chaotically running over there. And then he gets done and we're like, turn around and we're, we're moving back to where we were and I lost Caleb among thousands of people in the dark. And I don't know if you've ever looked for an Ethiopian kid in the dark, but it is very difficult to find them. They blend into the scenery. And so I'm looking around and I thought, should I stay here, stay put, and he'll find me, or should I go looking for him? Well, he knows where we are, the, the vicinity of where we are. I'm going to stay here and hopefully he'll find me. And a second felt like a minute and about 30 seconds, 45 seconds later, I'm like, I can't wait for him to come find me. I've got to go find him, which is our vision this year for the next generation. Um, yes. And I turned and I was going through the crowd with the heart of a father that has the heart of a lion. And I was yelling out my kid's name, Caleb, Caleb. My eyes are on fire and the people around me forgot about the NF concert. And they were thinking about this dad that has lost his mind. And I'm yelling out my son's name. And finally, I saw the top of his nappy head in the, like about 20 feet away. And I caught eyes and I, I locked in on him and I started yelling for him. And the people, I kid you not, saw me see him. And I was yelling for Caleb. They started to turn, open up like the Red Sea and created a path right to my son as they yelled out Caleb's name with me for the sake of me finding my son. It was awesome. And I just wonder if this year, as we go after the next generation and we scream and yell and our hearts are caught ablaze as we yell, if other people won't see something's going on over there and they open up a path for the next generation, we're going to look for them too. Man, I had that when I was growing up as a kid. And I was an ornery kid and I was a rebellious kid. I was a naughty kid. In fact, in my little town on the block, I was known as Dennis the Menace. Breaking windows, just throwing things at cars, theft, stealing things from Greens and James Way and Wayne's Drugs. I mean, I was just in it all. I'd steal Marlboros from the store and Winston's and camels with no filter and I'd hide them and I'd smoke them down by the, you know, Lake Ontario. I was just a holy terror at age seven, eight, and nine. My parents had probably thought, man, our kid, I, I just don't know what's going on in his life, but I don't know if we're going to be able to do this. And yet I remember at age five, after evangelists in our church came to our church for a revival, they used to do that back in the day in our Baptist church all week long. You go to church and then every night at seven o'clock, you go to a revival service. I remember he spoke on the crucifixion in Christ and how he loved us to death. And I was captured by that. And I went home and my mom knelt with me by our couch. And I asked Jesus to come into my heart and to save me from my sins so I could have a relationship with him. And it was the same year that Kenny Fox exposed me to pornography, which set into motion an addiction to pornography and secret sin inside of my heart from age five, back in the 1980s. And there was so much going on and there was a war over my soul and I could feel the tug of war and I could feel Satan pursuing me and I could feel God pursuing me. And even while I was doing wrong, I had a heart to do what was right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. I believe that about this generation. I caught up in peer pressure over here, but even while I was doing it, there was some conscience inside, something pulling me and saying, man, I, that's not what I really want to be. It's not who I really am. What am I doing? And I remember even just 
getting to be about 11 or 12, I'd, I'd go out to my car. It's really funny to think about now. I was embarrassed that I had this like penchant for God, this heart for God, but I would go out with a cassette tape. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like cassette tape. And I turn the key halfway. I put in the cassette tape and I listened to this Ray Bolt song called Watch the Lamb. And there was something about the song and, and the way he was describing, particularly the guy that took the cross for Jesus from Jesus and helped him carry it to Golgotha. And the song said in these lyrics, and I'd get goosebumps all over my arms listening to it in the big old 15 passenger van with the woods paneling siding. Do you know what I'm talking about? We had a brown one. And the song said, then someone said, there's Jesus. I scarce believe my eyes. A man so badly beaten, he barely looked alive. Blood poured from his body, from the thorns upon his brow, running down the cross and falling to the ground. I watched him as he stumbled. I watched him as he fell. The cross came down upon his back. The crowd began to yell. In that moment, I felt such agony. In that moment, I felt such loss until I heard a Roman soldier grab my arm and scream, you! carry the cross and goosebumps would cover my body at age 12 and I'd start crying. And in the song, it said, at first I tried to resist him. Then his hand reached for his sword. And so I knelt and took the cross from the Lord. I placed it on my shoulders and started down the street. The blood that he'd been shedding was running down my cheek and tears would be coming down at age 12. And then I would go out and live like the devil but I was stirred. Even at 15 years old, I'd go out. I loved the universe. I'd go out and lay right in the middle of the road late at night. And I'd look up at the starry skies and I just felt captured by those stars. And I'd run out into the woods and I'd climb this one cherry tree that was malformed when it was younger. And it had this like nest in the top of it. And I would shimmy up because it had rough bark about 25 feet in the air. And I'd blow with the breeze and I would talk to God, but I didn't talk to any of my friends about this heart that I had beating for Jesus inside. And then at age 17, I went to a all nighter to pick up chicks where you roller skate together and you can hold hands and couple skate. You remember back in those days? It's like, oh man, and my blood's pumping. And in the middle of trying to pick up chicks at the youth group all nighter, there was a guy there, you know, Ken Rudolph, who spoke on the passage I'm going to speak on today. And when I was 17, I was gripping the pew in front of me and my heart was pounding and I felt like God was just calling me to serve him with my life. It can happen. It happened to me. It can happen for anybody. And I want to speak particularly to the next generation today in this passage because this passage lit me up and it gave me permission and it showed me that God desires to use me, that I have something to offer. And then in many ways, I have something that adults don't have. And that I could do something that I'm waiting for someone else to do. And he's like, no, I'm calling you to be that and to do that. It's found in Numbers 25. Most people don't read it because nobody likes to read the book of Numbers for the heck of it. But in Numbers 25, there's a story of this young man named Phineas. And I just want to read through this story and draw out hopefully some inspiring things for us to think about today. Numbers 25, verse 1. This is just before Israel is going into the promised land after being in the wilderness for 40 years. And up to this point, they had not ever bowed down to any other god. They'd bowed down to a calf that was meant to represent their God, but never bowed to another God. Well, something changed in this story. It says, well, Israel was staying in Shittim. And I remember at age 17, I'm like, you had me right there. Um, oh, to grow up in the town of Shittim with all the other Shittites, right? Shittim Baptist Church uh, would have been what they would have been going to. <laughs> See, you even think that's funny, and that makes me feel good, because I think stuff like that's funny in the Bible. The men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite prostitutes and harlots. Because sexual immorality didn't start five years ago. And perversion didn't start just three years ago. Sexuality has been the way 
that if you can create enough confusion, that, that can take people, screw up their identity, and mess up their lives. And these women invited them to sacrifice to their gods. Come to my church, right? And the people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before them to their gods. So they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. So while they were worshiping, one of the ways that you worship God is that you have relations with prostitutes as a sacrifice to this God of fertility. And the Lord's anger burned against them. And rightfully so, because he's a jealous God. Jealousy is his name. Jealousy is different than covetousness. Covetousness is wanting what is not yours. Jealousy is wanting what is rightfully yours. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people. And I love that because leaders have a big responsibility as they're leading. And he said, kill them and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to Israel's judges, each of you must put to death those of your people who have yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. And part of me is like, man, aren't you glad God's not like that anymore? Some of you in here are like, man, I'm glad God's not like that anymore. Some of you are like, I wish God was still like that now. It just depends on how much sin you're living in. Imagine if God was like that in your life, not the person you're thinking about or the culture that you're thinking about. But none of us would stand before the righteous judge if our sin was put up on these screens for everybody to see this last week. So we just appeal to God's grace today, even today. Then an Israelite man, check this out, brought into the camp a Midianite chick right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they're having a revival over here. They're really getting right with God, returning to his righteous standards. And right in front of them, this guy brings in a woman like, you know, just a stiff neck guy, a prideful guy, an in-your-face guy like, yeah, forget you. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the high priest, saw this, this young man, he left the assembly, which is what you have to do. You have to leave the crowd to do what's right most of the time, and took a spear in his hand, and he followed the Israelite into the tent, and he drove the spear into both of them, right through the Israelite man into the woman's stomach while they were in the act. And then the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites since he was as zealous for my honor among them as I am. I did not put an end to them in my zeal. Therefore, tell him I am making a covenant of peace with him. What a crazy story. The Baal of Peor here, I was doing a little bit of research. It literally means the Lord of the wide opening. And man, have things gone wide open in our culture. Like everybody does what's right in their own eyes. If you've got an idea, the exploration sexually in this story, the exploitation sexually in the story, it, it's just wide open. Do as you want to do. No holds barred. There are no rules. We just value and honor and progressivism, new ideas of how to do things sexually. And this is the culture that they were in. And the Baal of Peor was the Lord of the wide opening. Where Jesus says, narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it, but broad is the way that leads to death and many there be that find it. The Lord isn't the Lord of the wide opening and righteousness is often the thing that's not cool or not popular. It's crazy in our culture that they're normalizing the abnormal and abnormalizing the normal. And it, it makes us all screwed up. And in this context, people just, I think, bought in and were lulled to sleep and were in a stupor and they had no idea what they were doing anymore because the perversion sexually to the, to the gods and sacrifice and sex were melded together and nobody knew the right from the left, up, down, in, out. It was all like confusing. Do you relate in your culture? 
students, you know what we're talking about. This is being pumped in through TikTok and through all kinds of mediums. I feel it. You feel it. It's in our schools. It's in our culture. It's in our homes. It's on what we call the boob tube. My dad used to call it on TV. It's on radios. It's in songs. It's causing you to think certain things are normal and they're not normal. Certain things are natural and they're not natural. And before you know it, you're like, yeah, I'll just go with it. And God's like, I'm not the God of the wide opening. I'm God of a path of righteousness. Come back to my path. This is where life is found, not death. What's crazy in this story is you've got Moses there and you've got Aaron there and Eleazar and these high priests and people in ministry and these prophets and all of them see this kid come along. It says in the text, and an Israelite man brought into the camp, a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses, the, the OG, and the whole assembly of Israel, while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this and left the assembly. So he, this kid is looking, and he's bowing down, and he's like, we're returning to God. Let's do this. And he's looking to Moses, because everyone looks to Moses. He's the leader, and Moses is paralyzed in silence. And he looks over to his brother, Aaron, who's the high priest that's in between he and God and the people and God, and he's not doing anything. And he looks to his own dad, and his own dad's not doing anything, Eleazar. And he's like, is anybody going to do anything about what we're all looking at? We are all seeing the same thing, aren't we? And it's interesting. Everybody can see the same thing, but they don't do the same thing in reaction or response to the same thing you see. And I'm telling you, when you see something and it doesn't seem right, it ain't right. And you don't have to take your cues from other people. Well, it doesn't look like anybody else is responding. Looks like everybody else in schools nod their heads. And if all the teachers are together and they're saying it, it must be true. And if all the doctors are saying it, it must be true. And if all the pastors are saying it, it must be true. If you read God's word and it doesn't settle in your conscience and your spirit and it seems off, it's probably off. And you can stand up and get off your knees and say, I don't know what you're going to do about this, but I heard clearly from God that he didn't want this to happen anymore. And so he goes and it says he grabs his spear, goes into the tent, shish kebabs them through right in the middle of the sex act, cavorting there in the tent. We got shish kebabs tonight, folks. This is crazy. And this is what I mean. Students don't think before they do things. They just know that I feel something inside of me and I got to go get my spear. And in order for you to do what's right, sometimes you got to leave the assembly. You got to leave the crowd. You got to leave the group that you're a part of that doesn't seem to be moved or disturbed and say, that's not me. I feel the heart of God inside of me. Now, I'm going to tell you something that it doesn't look like it on stage. In fact, I talked to Elise before the service and I gave her a hug and I said, man, thank you so much for leading last night. She says, people don't understand how scared I am to do that. And I said, but I relate. Most people don't understand that even though you look like you're doing something that is coming natural to you inside, your heart's pounding and you're doing it because it's right. You're not doing it because it feels right. And I thought to myself, man, this kid felt the heart of God and he intervened. I don't intervene by nature. I mean, Jesus is in my heart, but my dad's in my bones. And my dad was passive and silent. I mean, we'd go through McDonald's and if there was, you know, eight chicken McNuggets instead of the nine that we ordered, mom would be like, hey, can you go back and get the extra chicken McNugget? And my dad's like, no, no, no. We just, you know, we'll split the eighth one in two and that'll make nine, right? This is kind of, I'm not going in. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want somebody else to feel awkward. I don't want somebody to not like me by standing up and saying something that could sort of be a disturber of the peace. I don't want to put myself in harm's way. That's kind of how I am by nature. But when I asked Jesus to come into my heart, it wasn't what I want to do anymore. Sometimes, his spirit's moving in me and he gets me off the ground and he opens my mouth and I don't know what I'm saying or what I'm doing, but he, by his spirit, is empowering me to be that person. And we had one guy empowered by a zeal for the Lord. 
I was thinking this last week back to when I was younger, times where I went against the grain of my nature and my propensity, my personality. And I remember once it was Mike Cheely who was on the basketball team with me and he was a jock and he was cool and he was really good at basketball. And I was his friend, like we would hang out together, spend the night at each other's homes. And he was saying something to Dwight Queen. That's right, his name was Dwight Queen. And Dwight Queen was really, really big and he would get bullied. And there was this one day, Mike Cheely was saying, you're fat, you can't do it because you're fat. And I remember I stepped in between Dwight Queen and Mike Cheely. I stood up to my friend and I remember exactly what I said. Knock it off, knock it off. And as I was saying it, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm ruining my friendship with my real friend and I'm sticking up for somebody who's sort of oppressed and bullied. What am I doing? And I'm, I'm sensing right now, God's like, you're doing what I was doing in that moment. You are mimicking me, not the culture. And I checked the plague in that moment. And I found out later what my name means, Jason, is the healer, the mender. I was like, that's why I have a heart for people, because I have a healer heart. I remember when I was a youth pastor, it was about a year in, man, I came into the youth group as a youth pastor. They, the whole youth group was going to a Marilyn Manson concert, and, and who was opening up for them, I think it was Corn or Slipknot. And so I remember, my, get this, I don't think I've ever shared this. I get up in a youth group. My first time I'm up in front of a youth group, I started sharing with them. And I said, and I heard a lot of you guys are going to the Marilyn Manson concert. And I don't know who she is, but, uh, and they all laugh like this guy has no idea that it's a guy um, that has Marilyn. And, and I just lost all credibility. So I was rebuilding it. Anyway, the youth group was in a hard place. And I wanted to see God move. But I remember about a year and a half in, they went to prom. And at prom on Saturday night, they just kind of let it all hang out. They were sowing their wild oats and they were bumping and grinding and they were having sex and what you do at a prom. And it, it just broke my heart. And I come into Sunday school the next morning and there's probably 30 of them in Sunday school. And I'm in there with some curriculum and I'm teaching them curriculum and they're falling asleep because they were up early the night before. I had heard the stories of the, the ones that were there and my heart bled for them and broke for them. And until your heart breaks for the things that break God's heart, then you might not have his heart. And I, I, I took the curriculum like, who cares about this? You don't care about this. This Bible, I slammed the Bible and I, I went to the door, opened it up and slammed the door and left them in the Sunday school room. And I went down to my office and I left the lights off, went into my office, fell on the floor and just wept before God for these students in this generation. And I was crying. And I think it was about five minutes later, all of a sudden I heard a door open up, didn't know who it was. And the students went out looking for me and found me and all the students crammed into my office and started bawling for God, repentance. You know, I, that wasn't in the cards. It's not like I'm planning on doing this. It's just a moment where you can't help yourself and you're like, enough's enough. I'm gonna snap with the Holy Spirit right now. And when somebody stands up, everybody sort of looks and pays attention and says, I wonder if something's wrong. It is wrong. And I wonder if I should have a heart that goes and pursues righteousness. You don't know the effect you could have on people. Some of you here, to rebel isn't to do what everybody do, uh, everybody's doing. To rebel is to do what nobody's doing. Amen. You want to be a biblical rebel, do the opposite of the current of what's going on in our culture. I mean, this happened a month ago. And I was at a little league game for my son and there was like yelling from the parents and these coaches on the other side. And after the game, they came around and the one coach came over and one of the, our parents was yelling at him and F-bombs were flying. He got, gets up in his face and they're pushing each other. And I'm over playing with a little kid and I hear it going on. And when I saw it, I went over in between them and I like broke it apart. I was pushing him back. I was sort of advocating for him and I was advocating to him for him. And I'm there and the hair on the back of my neck is rising up because I'm about ready to get hit. The only thing I could say is think about the kids. Think about what this looks like to the kids. And I pushed him away and I went home and I'm telling you, I was like shaken the rest of the night. It's not in my nature, but sometimes you don't do what's in your nature. You do what's in God's nature. 
It goes on the story where verse 10, the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest has turned my anger away from the Israelites Since he was as zealous for my honor among them as I am, I did not put an end to them in my zeal. Therefore, tell him I am making a covenant of peace with him. The word zeal is passion. And you have passion in this generation. That's what we need from you. Another word for it is to be on fire. Anybody here want to be on fire for God? When I was young, I was drawn to things that elicited enthusiasm and fun and passion. So when I would go to church and there was no passion, what is there worth giving my life to in this assembly? But I'm telling you, it doesn't have to be that way, that when you get around people and you're you're on fire, that they catch on fire and you spread a wildfire in your generation, that's what we need in this generation. But somebody's got to go first. Somebody's got to look around, see nobody else doing anything and say, God, I'm as passionate and zealous for your honor as you are for your honor. I'm going to join you in your passion and I want you to light me ablaze for your glory, God. And that can happen to a seven-year-old in this place, a seven-year-old to a 10-year-old to 17-year-old, 15-year-old, 22-year-old, 25-year-old. Gen Z is longing to be on fire. And if the church isn't fire, they're going to go to what's on fire because they're ambulance chasers. They're tornado chasers. They're thrill seekers. And if the church isn't that thrilling, if it's not animated, if it's not on fire, if the tornado of God isn't touching down in a church and leaving behind the evidence of his presence, why would they want to be a part of the church? God touched down in our midst and touched down in our midst, starting with our young people, like you did in this story. Wake us up by awakening this generation. I took some time thinking about these stories in the Bible of biblical heroes of the faith. And I got to wondering how many of these people that I looked up to did I think were older and adults. And a lot of them were kids or teens or young adults. It's crazy. David was roughly 15 years old. We know this, I think this is a more popular story, when he fought Goliath and defeated him when all the other adults were too scared to fight. He said, David said, as a 15-year-old in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, you come against me. He's talking to Goliath. He's over nine foot tall with a sword and spear and javelin, pshaw. I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Can you imagine a 15-year-old doing that here? I can. I can. In fact, I think it's only 15-year-olds in this place that probably have the kind of like passion that they're like, that would be exciting for me. I actually want to defy the odds. I want to do something dangerous. So did he. And he would not let Goliath, bad talker, talk smack about the God of Israel. Elisha was in his early 20s when he was called to be a servant of God. He had a great gig going. He was, in many ways, very, very wealthy. And when Elijah called him, he boldly said in 1 Kings 19, well, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. Sometimes if you're going to follow God, you got to kiss some people goodbye. And you got to kiss some things in your life goodbye. And you know what they are because the Spirit's talking to you about them this morning. And then I will come with you. So Elijah left and went back and he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. This is how we know he was wealthy. And he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. He threw a party with all of his livelihood and his inheritance. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. Sometimes you got to butcher everything in your life and you got to burn it and say, I'm following after you. There's nothing to go back to because I burn it all and I butchered it all. Young 20s. Samuel was 12 years old when God speaks to him and calls him to be a prophet of the people of Israel. He said to God in 1 Samuel 3, speak for your servant is listening. Do you know God's talking to young people? 
If you can just open your ears and say, God, what are you saying to me? Can you speak to me? And God speaks and says this to him. See, I'm about to do something in Israel that would make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. That's God dreaming right there. I, I'm going to do some stuff, but I'm going to come to a 12-year-old and I'm going to get that 12-year-old to wake up to my voice. Esther is thought to have been 14 years old when she became the queen, queen of Persia. And she saved the Jews from extermination. She went before the king when she was not allowed to unless summoned. And in Esther 4, she said, I will go to the king even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So as she advocates for her people, she says, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die doing what's right. That's boldness. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. We got any eight-year-olds here? Seven, eight, nine-year-olds here? Can you imagine becoming king? King of America? I can. I mean, if we have the presidents we have had lately, I could see an eight-year-old running the country. Uh, I'm, I'm only half joking. It's crazy. It says in 2 Chronicles 34, Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he ruled for 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the Lord's eyes and walked in the ways of his ancestor, David, not deviating from it even a bit to the right or the left. In the eighth year of his rule, when he's just a boy, I love those six words, while he was just a boy, he began to seek the God of his ancestor David. In the 12th year, he began purifying Judah and Jerusalem of all the gods, the shrines, the sacred poles, the idols, and the images. And he cleared his closet and then cleaned the closet of the nation as a young boy. And his dad was a wicked king. So I'm here just like, you know, anybody in this place. Even if you don't have a dad following the Lord, you can follow the Lord. Even if your mom and dad don't follow the Lord, you can say, I want to be like my grandfather. I want to be like this other coach that I have. I want to be like this father figure in my life. I want to follow after what my ancestor David did, not what my dad did. And in one generation, you can break all the chains, all the curses of that generation today. Amen. Daniel 17 years old, when he's taken into Babylonian captivity, his name was changed to Belteshazzar. And he stood resolved not to defile himself with the food and drink of the king. And he stood for his values in the face of death in a culture that despised his beliefs and traditions. And he cried out to God, Lord, listen, Lord, forgive, Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. Don't delay because your city and your people bear your name. A kid crying out in prayer to God for his city and the people around him. Do you have a heart for people as a student? A lot of times they're like, oh, they're just into themselves. They're so narcissistic. They're so selfish. You can have a prayer that's for your city and your school and the people in your community and cry out to God for them on their behalf. That's not what the adults are made for. That's what God is calling students into. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Tibet we go, were in their early 20s when they refused to bow down to the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. They said to the king in Daniel 3, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. I think that's a good thing to know as a student. You don't always have to defend yourself in every matter that comes up. You just need to know what you believe and say, you can do what you want to do. I don't need to defend myself. I just know what I believe. And then he says, if we're thrown into that blazing furnace, this is how big their belief in God was. God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know something, your majesty. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Our God can do it. We believe he will do it. But even if he doesn't do it, we're not bowing down. Mary, the very mother of Jesus, was around 14 years old when God called her to carry the Messiah in her womb and raise the Savior of the world. Pretty tall order. 
And she whispered a prayer to God in Luke 1, my soul glorifies the Lord. Imagine a 14-year-old saying this. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He's been mindful of the humble state of his servant of me. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. John, one of Jesus' disciples, considered the youngest disciple in his early 20s, a young adult called as a young adult to follow Jesus with his whole life. He was Jesus' closest friend and described Jesus perfectly when he said in John 1, in him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Oh, to have a generation of students today that say light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. It's like an awesome spirit for a young adult to have. It's dark out there. But the light has come, and the darkness, as hard as they can try, they will not eclipse the light of what Jesus is doing in this culture. I believe it. We will not be overcome. He will not be overcome. Oh, that students would do that. Oh, they are doing it. They are saying it. I reached out to students this week and kids this week, and I got back responses of what they want to say in this generation. These are kids from our church, Caleb, age 10. I believe Jesus is calling my generation to teach more people about God, to let them, to tell them what he can do and what he has done. I want to be bold for Jesus by telling people I know Jesus so that my friends love him too. Lucas, age seven. I believe Jesus is calling my generation to follow him. Some people in my generation haven't even heard of Jesus. God wants me to help those kids get to know him. I want to be bold for Jesus by showing the fruit of the spirit. That's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, in case you didn't know. Fair enough, Lucas. Vivian buys age nine. I believe Jesus is calling my generation to be a follower of Jesus and to follow him always. I want to be bold for Jesus by standing up for what is right and what he wants us to do. Sam Schultz, young adult. I believe Jesus is calling my generation to stand up and become frontline soldiers in this spiritual war going on in this world right now. I believe we're being called to be leaders and examples of Jesus. I want to be bold for Jesus by pushing myself to become more Christ-like. I'm going to pursue Jesus and build new habits that center my attention on him. I want to constantly be pushed out of my comfort zone and be tested. Though Through it, I will be fearless because I know who I am in Christ. Chloe Dode, I believe Jesus is calling my generation to radically change the stagnant routine faith into a sold-out revival and daily surrender. I want to be bold for Jesus by being different, asking the hard questions, and making everyone's story in life feel worth listening to and fighting for. Zach Swartz says this, I believe Jesus is calling my generation to be courageous and bold in our faith, to be noticeably different in a way that only God can make happen. Yeah. I want to be bold for Jesus by sharing my faith to more people in my life that are on the edge of wanting to believe but don't go all in for some reason. Amy says this, I believe Jesus is calling my generation to pave the way for generations to come as we face changes in society and ideations. I want to be bold for Jesus by talking about the truth to those who have been told nothing but lies. James Link says, I believe Jesus is calling our generation to stand up to agendas contrary to the message of the Bible. I want to be bold for Jesus by chasing after people's hearts like Jesus. Mallory, I believe Jesus is calling my generation to grow our relationship with him. Jesus doesn't care about religion. He cares about our relationship with him. How lucky are we that we get to give everything to him? our thanks, our worries, our desires. We get to have peace in our hearts and our minds that he is in control. Bryson Vandermeulen, who was just baptized on that screen, who's coming alive to God. I believe Jesus is calling my generation to revive the church. He thinks he's been called to revive our church. The audacity. (laughs) Hashtag truth. Right? I'm here to revive the church. I don't know what everybody else wants, but I need to get this, this place hopping. What better time than now to invite a friend? What better time than now just to have a conversation with somebody new and share the word of God? I want to be bold for Jesus by being a Christian seven days a week, 
Often we think it's okay to just go to church on Sunday and go right back to our previous behavior by Tuesday. What he doesn't know is most people go back by Sunday afternoon. We need to leave our hearts wide open for Jesus all week. Not the Lord of the wide open places of sin, but to have our hearts wide open, ripped wide open for God. Ollie Miller, I believe Jesus is calling my generation to make a difference, to not follow the traditional path, but to step into a new way of living life. I want to be bold for Jesus by being changed by what I go through and step into the testimony he's given me to serve his people. And lastly, Adrian says, I believe Jesus is calling, and he's over in baptism class right now, my generation to be unafraid of vulnerability and embrace being weird or unpopular by acting in obedience to God. I want to be bold for Jesus by continuing to lead friends, family, and strangers into his presence and experience the eternal gift he offers us. Is that not cool? That's in our church right now, what God's doing. We got some Phineases that are being raised up. It's crazy. David writes a psalm and reflects on the life of Phineas 400 years after Phineas was alive. And in Psalm 106, he reflects on the life of Phineas that impacted his young life because David was between 10 and 12 years old when he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. I don't know if you've anointed your 10 year old lately for what they're going to be someday. And he didn't become king for another 12 years, but the anointing was on his life at age 10. And so he remembers as a youth that was called by God, he had heard this story through oral tradition of this one kid named Phineas who stood up when Moses and Aaron and Eliezer and nobody else did. And God used this youth to grab the spear and go and check the plague and intervene. And he said this, they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods. They aroused the Lord's anger by their wicked deeds and a plague broke out among them. But Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was checked. How many young people here want to check the plague today? And this was credited to him as righteousness for endless generations to come. So what you do today doesn't just echo into eternity. It echoes into the next generation. So King David looks back 400 years later, and he's like, I remember the spirit of Phineas, and I want a, a Phineas spirit myself. What's crazy is Josiah that I talked about that was eight years old was 400 years after David came as an 18-year-old, and he wanted to have the heart of his ancestor, David, who wanted to have the heart of his ancestor, Phineas, for endless generations to come. When you stand up, when you intervene, and you check the plague, you change the world. You're like, I can't change the whole world. You might not be able to change the whole world, but you can change somebody's world that's watching you. Man, I was reading a book, and in this book, it had this quote, and I wanted to end with this. Students, I need to ask you why you sit in the church chairs of your fathers and mothers while all around the darkness takes your cities, schools, and your friends. Youth of America, can you not hear the call of God in this hour? All heaven awaits the moment when you will arise and act on behalf of your generation. The kingdom is counting on you. Will you not arise? We need you. Heaven is counting on you. Our church is counting on you. Our vision this year is all about zero to 25-year-old students that have been falling through the cracks for so long and our energy and our prayers and our finances. People have begun tithing to our church and it's been amazing this last year. Like tithing just went up like 20%. You need to get in on this because we've already bought tickets for Passion next year and spent $6,000 on that and $12,000 on trips we got to sign up for in advance. The money you're giving is going for this generation to have encounters with God that make an indelible impression on their hearts that change the trajectory of their future and generations to come. It's happening. And I just want you to know in this generation that we love you. We believe in you. 
We have dreams for you. God has dreams for you. He has, is, and always will be calling your generation to do the hard stuff, to be at the tip of the spear and to pave the way. And when adults won't do it, he made you with a zeal for him to stand up and do the dangerous, unpopular things for his glory. And we believe in you. And you have something to offer this church, your schools, this community. And I want to pray for you with our church as you get ready to go back into school in another month. And I know saying that you hate me right now, but it's coming fast. I want you to be a different person going back into your schools and to have a Phineas spirit is what I'm praying for you today. So if you're between the age of zero, I don't know how many zero year olds are going to stand up in this place, but if you could stand up, I'd love to have you stand up right now. And we're going to pray over you. Can you stand up if you're 25 years or younger in this place? Do it. Yeah, we got people are like, man, I don't even want to stand up here. If you can't stand up here, I guarantee you're not going to stand up out there. Look at these students. Look at these students that we have. These are our sons and daughters. And we're for you. Now, I want you, if you're around these students, to get around them. Put your hands on them. If you're far away, put your hands toward them right now. Get your hands on them. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want you to join me in this prayer. And if you want to even pray while I'm praying, under your breath or out loud, you just pray for this generation that God will plant inside of them that fire that Phineas had, a Phineas fire, the spirit of Phineas, to rise up, to intervene, and to check the plague. So God, we're crying out. To, who David called the God of the angel ar armies, the God who is behind us and for us and beside us. And when we're saved within us and we pray for this generation, they are going through so many things, so much anxiety, so much oppression and depression going on, thoughts of suicide. Some of them have lost friends to suicide, even in our community. The temptation is so intoxicating and it's pulling them apart. And, and I pray that they'll have the strength to stand in it, that you give them that Phineas spirit that when other people are dropping like flies, that they will rise up and take their place in the battle. God, we believe in them and we know you believe in them. You've always called young people to be at the tip of the spear. And we just pray that each individual student standing here today will feel as they leave this place, our belief in them, our love for them, and your belief and your dreams for their life. Plan inside them an anointing, just like the anointing you gave David at age 10 or 11. I pray that you would anoint them now for your purposes for generations to come. Whatever they've got in their life right now, at home, whatever they're listening to, whatever paraphernalia they have, whether it be drugs or pornography, whether it's music they're listening to, you just speak to their heart and you make them, just like you made Elijah, I got to go say goodbye. Help them to say goodbye to some things today and hello to you and your presence and your call on their life. Give them the strength to do that today. We need them in this place. We're going for broke for this generation. There's no sacrifice too big that we will not make to wrap our arms around them. We love them. We're for them. We believe in them today, God. We pray all this by your spirit's power in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. 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 Hey, you have a good day praying for this generation.